If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In the wake of a horrific tragedy, a mother struggled to move on. She lost her son. He was killed in a, in a tragic accident. I know that it devastated her. But she was able to find a light in the darkness. The most important thing in her life was her granddaughter. I said, happy Mother's Day, enjoy your granddaughter, and she says, I'll tell you all about it on Monday when I see you. But what should have been a day marked for celebration becomes forever stained by an unthinkable crime. The body was laying in the living room on the floor with a plastic bag over her head. The victim had obviously been beaten and stabbed multiple times. As investigators search for the killer, they find more than one person with a motive for murder. He was really in the litany of people who could be the real killers. They asked me to come in. We want to ask you some questions, Mr. Trovato, and I certainly had a motive. She believed that he was involved with the quote-unquote mafia. She kept calling it a cult, is what she kept calling it. I think she, she was taken over by their tarot card reading. She was scared for her life. It's so messed up in, in so many ways. Sunday, May 14th, 2006. In Ossining, New York, Michael Mary Sr. has found himself at the home of his sister, 59-year-old Patricia Mary. Michael's concerned because he hasn't been able to reach her in several days. The family hadn't heard from her, so they were all sort of talking to each other and looking for her. With each unanswered knock, Michael's fears begin to mount. He was looking for Patricia, and there was no sign of her being around the house. Mike knew that she left a certain window open, and he climbed through. 
But once Michael is inside, nothing could prepare him for the horror he finds. Patricia Mary's body was in the house. Uh, she was dead. Michael calls 911, and within minutes, Ossining PD officers arrive on the scene. The body was laying on the floor with the believed to be a plastic bag over the head portion of the victim's body. The victim had obviously been beaten and stabbed multiple times. There was a bat and a knife laying next to the body, and the bat and the knife both had blood on them. We had blood on all the walls. It just made for a particularly uh, gruesome and horrible scene. It's clear that whoever killed Patricia Mary had really wanted her dead. I could tell Pat was targeted by someone who was very angry at her. It doesn't take long for investigators to realize this crime scene is all too familiar. Before the murder, um, there was a few incidences. Pat was concerned that someone might have tried to break into their house. Patricia Mary was born on April 11, 1947, in Ossining, New York, to a devout Roman Catholic family. After high school, Patricia attended college and then started a career in teaching in Westchester County, where Pat was beloved by her students and co-workers. You kind of sensed that there was an aura about her, that just nothing negative would touch her. She truly believed in the inherent goodness of people. She was very religious and had a lot of friends and a lot of friends in the teaching community. Soon after her teaching career began, Pat met and fell in love with George Travato, a fellow teacher. I met Pat at my first teaching job, and we started dating, and then a couple years later, we got married. In 1979, shortly after saying, I do, George and Patricia welcomed their first child into the world, a daughter named Anne. In June of 1981, their second child was born, a son named John. She was a fantastic mother, caring, considerate, giving, selfless. Even though Pat's relationship with her children was strong, after just two years, Pat and George's marriage began to deteriorate. We filed for divorce and started the proceedings and things. She got sole custody, which means I couldn't look at those kids. I was a non-entity. And that's how screwed up the divorce laws are in New York State. After her and George's contentious divorce, Pat and the children settled into a home in Ossining. As the kids grew, their daughter Anne's creative side began to blossom. She was very artistic. She makes the most wonderful cards, birthday cards, Christmas cards, Mother's Day. You know, she's very talented. As for their son, John, he matured into a hardworking, responsible young man and developed a tight bond with his mother. Her son was the light of her life, her golden child, if you will. And she was exceedingly close with him. 
By 2002, Pat, now 55, had just retired from teaching and was looking forward to spending even more time with her two beloved children. Then, on August 1st, 2002, tragedy struck. John had gotten his motorcycle permit. He just took off on the bike. And unfortunately, a car pulled out, got in his way, and he went directly into the side of the car and died instantly. With Pat, it was instantaneous that she had fallen into a abyss of depression. This is a woman who is consumed with grief and does not know how to dig herself out of it. Looking for comfort, Pat devoted herself to her church and also returned to the workforce, starting a new job teaching Spanish in nearby Stamford, Connecticut. I do know that she was consumed by work. I don't think she had a lot of activities going on. Pat's coping mechanism was closing herself off and not wanting to be a member of society anymore, not wanting to socialize. Anne's coping mechanism was quite different. And it was coping with it almost in a way that, yeah, it happened, I'm mad, I'm rebellious. She had a fascination with nightclubs and wanted to go out in nightlife. In the fall of 2002, a few months after John's death, Anne received a surprise that put the brakes on her wild life, a positive pregnancy test. Both Anne and Patricia were thrilled by the news. I know that she was very excited about becoming a grandmother. I think that that was going to bring joy into her life. On June 18, 2003, Anne and her mother, Pat, welcomed Ariana Travato into the world. For both Anne and Pat, Ariana brought them out of a dark place and gave them hope for the future. I sense it for Pat that was a way to overcome her grief was through being the best grandmother that she could possibly be. But on May 14, 2006, Patricia's family suffers another tragic blow when her brother Mike finds Patricia dead inside her own home. Clues at the scene suggest this was a targeted attack one investigators believe may have started several weeks back. Before the murder, there was a few incidences where she thought someone had tried to break into the residence. I know the police responded, but there was no evidence that someone had entered the house or may have tried. Then, just two weeks before the murder, on April 27th, Patricia had filed an even more disturbing report. She called the police to make a report. She was very concerned that the brake lines were cut. Met her at a local gas station, and we found brake lines were in fact cut. 
If she had continued to drive and not made her way to the mechanic, she could have easily have died as a result. Coming up, could a new clue help police pinpoint a motive? One that centers around a shady figure from daughter Anne's tumultuous past. She believed that he was involved with the mafia. The note was from the killers talking about some kidnapping plot. On May 14, 2006, Michael Mary arrived at the home of his sister, 59-year-old Patricia Mary, to find she had been brutally murdered. The harassment that Patricia had been experiencing in the weeks prior to her murder leads detectives from the Ossining, New York Police Department to believe that Patricia was specifically targeted. But by whom? We didn't have forced entry. So that was significant to us. We saw that the last time that she had retrieved a newspaper and brought it inside was May 10th. So we're starting to get a picture that May 11th was the day of the homicide. When detectives take a closer look at Patricia's body, they find a handwritten note. The note made no sense as far as what it purported to be. Ostensibly, the note was from the killers, talking about some kidnapping plot. The note basically said, this is too risky to kidnap your granddaughter. The note said it had something to do with some kind of with a kidnapping gone wrong and not getting paid for a kidnapping of Ariana. It also seems as though Patricia isn't the only person in on the kidnapping plot. The note seemed to be referencing Mike Mary, Patricia's brother. Could Patricia's own brother, who initially reported the crime to police, actually be involved in her murder? The whole case was bizarre, and this note was like the conclusion of the craziness involved here. We brought all of them to the police station, and they were, all the family members were interviewed separately. Detectives asked Mike point-blank if he was involved in Patricia's killing. Mike admits that he and his sister didn't always see eye to eye, but he also supplies police with an airtight alibi for May 11th, the day they believe Patricia was murdered. There were some family issues between Pat and her brother Mike, but there was he was never really looked at as a suspect. Mike and other family members tell detectives that Patricia was not the type of woman to make enemies. But if they want more information, they should speak to Pat's daughter, Anne. At 1 a.m. on May 15th, investigators ask Anne Travato to come to the station. By the time Anne arrives, relatives have already informed her of her mother's brutal death. Her mother had just been murdered. Emotionally, she was, you know, a little upset, a little tears and crying. She calmed down and she was cooperative. One of the detectives asked her if she knew anything about her mother's death. Anne admits that she hasn't spoken to her mother in some time. We learned that this was an ongoing dispute between them and that the relationship had become very strained. According to Anne, that strain largely stemmed from arguments regarding Anne's two-year-old daughter, Ariana. 
a big piece of it was that Anne Trivato did not want her mother, Ariana's grandmother, to have anything to do with this child. Anne thought Patricia was unfit, delusional even, in her mourning for her son, John. Anne accused her mother of, of walking around the house and talking uh, out loud to her dead son as if he were still present. Anne says that she'd been living with her mom ever since the birth of Ariana. But after weeks of this disturbing behavior, Anne became worried for Ariana's safety. So in November 2005, she and her daughter moved in with her best friend, 30-year-old Carmela Magnetti. Anne says that her mom was so livid that she pursued legal action against her. Patricia Mary was suing for visitation of her granddaughter, Ariana. So there was this visitation battle between Patricia and her daughter. Her position as maternal grandmother was quite strong, and that I did not see her losing her request for visitation. Anne says that her mother won the right to limited visitation in late spring 2006. Patricia was granted the right to visit little Ariana just once a month for like an hour. Anne says she wasn't thrilled about Pat's influence on Ariana, but she accepted the court's ruling, and she last saw her mother on May 9th during a scheduled visitation at the YMCA. She was asked about her whereabouts at the time frame that we believe the homicide had happened. She said that she wasn't in the area, and she pulled out a parking ticket claiming she was at the Galleria Mall shopping. And the Galleria Mall was over in White Plains. And she told the police that she was at the mall with Carmela Magnetti and her daughter. Detectives ask Anne if she knows anything about the harassment against her mother in the weeks before her murder. Anne says that her mother had told her about the incidents, but she asserts that Pat wasn't the only victim. She very much wanted the police to know that there were people following her. There was a black van, there was a white Jeep, and that she thought someone was out to get Carmela Magnetti. According to Anne, the incident started a few weeks before the murder, at the same time Pat was being tormented. Anne made a call to the police department claiming that there had been a black van and eggs had been thrown at the Magnetti residence. The police responded and they took a police report. Anne says that the black van and white Jeep continued to follow them throughout the city. Then, a couple of weeks before the murder, the threats escalated. On a day where Anne Travada was supposed to bring her child to see Patricia Mary as part of a family court-ordered visitation, Carmela Magnetti and Anne Travado called the police claimed that they were being threatened and that they had a message on their phone from a person that they didn't know saying, if you bring the baby to visitation, Carmela is going to be killed. She was scared for her life. Detectives ask Anne who might have a grudge against her family and an interest in Ariana's custody battle. Anne tells police she can only think of one person, her ex-boyfriend and the father of baby Ariana, 
a man named Ron Kerner. She believed that he was involved with the quote-unquote mafia. According to Anne, she had been drawn to Ron's tough guy attitude when they first started dating back in 2001. When Anne became pregnant in 2002, she says that Ron was adamant that she get an abortion. When Anne decided to keep the baby, she cut off all contact with Ron and delivered her daughter in secret. She hadn't seen him in, in a long time. Ron didn't even know that he was had a baby daughter. Anne says that if Ron found out she hadn't gone through with the abortion, he would have been angry, maybe even angry enough to kill. This was very significant to us. Coming up, detectives track down Ron Kerner. We thought maybe it's Ron Kerner. She mentioned um, some connection he had with, you know, some kind of crime. And Pat's co-workers provide another, more sinister lead. She kept calling it a cult, is what she kept calling it. If you're like me and can still recognize Mr. Brightside from the first note, and then can't resist screaming it at the top of your lungs, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and Sea Holly Bio-Extract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While Multi-Active Cream can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can de-stress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarins.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. If you're constantly on the hunt for a good deal, then you need Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because members get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, and more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores. Why not save while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Get the Rakuten app now and join the 17 million members who are already saving. Cashback rates change daily. See Rakuten.com for details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cash back really adds up. On May 15, 2006, Anne Travato told New York investigators that her ex-boyfriend, Ron Kerner, might be the person responsible for the brutal beating and stabbing death of her mother, Patricia Mary. As the interview ends, Anne's best friend and roommate, Carmela Magnetti, arrives at the station to pick Anne up. Detectives take the opportunity to ask her about her whereabouts on May 11th. She gives a very similar, almost identical story that Anne Trevato had given. 
She also told the police that she was at the Galleria Mall with Aunt Travato and the baby, and she also mentioned the ticket. After releasing Anne into the care of the Magnetti family, detectives doubled down on efforts to find Ron Kerner. His name was Ronnie the Rottweiler Kerner, and he was a really tough guy. Police quickly track him down in New York City. Two homicide detectives came to my door. So what's the problem? That's what I say. What's going on? We found Patricia Mary murdered. Ron tells police that he last saw Patricia and Anne back in 2002. Although Ron does not confirm or deny his connections to the mob, he says that Anne was drawn to rumors of his shady dealings. Annie saw in me a gangster. She liked the tough guy. Ron says that sometime in 2002, Anne told him that she was pregnant, and then just as quickly told him she wasn't. She said, I got an abortion. We're good. It's all good. Then I didn't hear from her. And she pretty much from there vanished out of my life. Detectives tell Ron that Anne might not have been honest with him about her 2002 abortion. Detectives say, there's a chance you, you have a daughter. Boom. You want to talk about getting hit by a Mack truck? It's like, I got a daughter. He was really bewildered that he had a no idea that he had a baby. I was in a happy shock. And there was no way in hell that I was not going to take a DNA test, then go to court to win custody of my child. Detectives ask Ron where he was on May 11th, 2006. He says he was working as a promoter at a boxing match. I was at the professional fights in New Jersey. I said, there's pictures on the wall from that night. Go look over there. He had a airtight alibi, and you know it was very clear to us early on that he had nothing to do with this. If Ron Kerner isn't responsible for Patricia Mary's death, then who is? Detectives track down one person who allegedly had a rocky past with Pat, her ex-husband, George Travato. It was just like you see in the movies. You know, they uh, asked me to come in. We want to ask you some questions, Mr. Travato. Investigators begin by asking George to describe his relationship with Pat. The relationship after the divorce was pretty contentious. George felt that he was shut out of the family. That woman did her best to keep me and my family away from those kids. When John died, it was as if I never existed. Detectives ask George point blank if he had anything to do with Pat's murder. I certainly had a motive, but there's no way I could have been involved in this. I was on the road. I had to have the company I was working for you know, sign an affidavit, say that I was on the road. With Pat's ex-husband in the clear, the search for information continues. On the afternoon of May 15th, Austining detectives arrive at West Hill High School, where Pat taught Spanish. There, they break the news of Pat's death to her fellow teachers. 
There was a buzz that Pat had not come to school. We thought maybe she was hospitalized, but no one thought that she had been murdered. All of the teachers tell detectives the same thing. We knew right away, just inherently inside of ourselves, it had something to do with the granddaughter. According to Pat's colleagues, after the death of her son, Pat had leaned on her Catholic faith for strength during those dark times. But that Pat's daughter, Anne, had coped in a very different way. Anne Travada went to see a tarot card reader, a fortune teller, in the hopes of getting some answers regarding her deceased brother. And she came upon a woman who started to read Travado's cards, tell her information about communications with her deceased brother. Through the tarot card reader, Anne Travado met Carmela Magnetti. They became inseparable. Co-workers say that Pat was disturbed by Carmela's hold over Anne. I knew that they had some heavy influence over, over Pat's daughter. Pat, she kept calling it a cult. Pat's co-workers explain that she was especially disturbed by Carmela's relationship with two-year-old Ariana. Carmela Magnetti really was attached to Ariana. She wanted to be caretaker of Ariana. Co-workers tell detectives that when Pat pushed back against her influence, Carmela turned Anne against her. Anne Travato moved out of her mother's house and into the Magnetti's home. Pat kept asking to see the child, kept asking Anne to bring the, the baby over, and it, it just never materialized. She was worried about her granddaughter, and that was what prompted her to seek visitation from a legal standpoint. Coworkers say that as the visitation case progressed, Pat believed that Anne retaliated against her on Carmela Magnetti's orders. When Pat filed her visitation petition, that's when the acts of violence escalated. The break-in in her house, the slashing of her tires, the tampering with her brakes. Pat was not to be deterred. The most important thing was her relationship with her granddaughter. Colleagues recall talking to Pat about an upcoming visit on the morning of Thursday, May 11th. The last thing you remember was Pat talking so excitedly about the weekend. She wanted things to be perfect, and they went so tragically wrong. If Carmela Magnetti had orchestrated the threats of violence against Pat, could she also be behind her death? Detectives order a search warrant of the Magnetti house, including the bedroom that Anne, Carmela, and Ariana share. Police find Carmela's personal computer and bring it back to the station for further examination. That's when they make a discovery that will change the course of the entire case. Carmela Magnetti was sending emails to Anne Travato, purporting to be Travato's dead brother, John, and trying to convince Travato uh, that her mother was evil and that she needed to be out of the picture. It's so beyond anything that you can imagine. That was a significant piece of evidence. Had Carmela Magnetti convinced Anne Travato to kill her own mother? Or had she been forced to do the dirty work herself? 
Before detectives can answer that question, they are contacted by New York Child Protection Services. CPS tells detectives about a peculiar call they received the day before Patricia's body was discovered. On Saturday, May 13th, there was a phone call made to Child Protective Service of Westchester County. The individual was claiming there was child abuse taking place at that moment at the house in Austin. The house belonged to Patricia Mary, and CPS says that local officers were dispatched to the scene. The house is dark, it's locked, there doesn't seem to be any activity in it. The allegation that this anonymous caller was making to CPS didn't seem accurate, so they left. Investigators believe at the time of the welfare check, Patricia Mary would have already been dead for nearly 48 hours. So who called CPS and why? We were able to track down where that phone call was made. It was made from a pay phone at the Pleasantville train station. Fortunately, we were able to recover video that showed a person making a phone call. And this person was Ann Travato. Coming up, detectives catch their prime suspect in a lie. Look, you said you were at the mall with Ann Travato, but we don't see her here. And they learn what was really tormenting Patricia in the weeks leading up to her murder. Pay money and we'll let you see your baby. May 15th, 2006. Detectives in Ossining, New York have discovered video evidence that seems to implicate Anne Travato in the death of her mother, Patricia Mary. One of the things we learn is that Anne called Child Protective Services herself after the murder and alerted them that there was abuse in that home. The question naturally arises, why did Travato make that call? Detectives decide to take another look at Anne's alibi for the night of the murder. She said she was at the mall with little Ariana and Carmela when this murder took place. The police were able to pull video and see Carmela Magnetti with the baby in a stroller, and Anne Travato was not there. If Anne wasn't at the mall on May 11th like she had claimed, then where was she? Search warrants were issued for uh, their cell phones and uh, data was recovered. We learned from the cell site information that at the time of the homicide, Carmela Magnetti was at the Galleria Mall, but Anne Travato was in Austin. Detectives are suspicious that Anne knows more than she claims. But rather than speak to Anne, they reach out to her best friend, Carmela Magnetti. They confronted her, basically saying, look, you said you were at the mall with Anne Travato, but we don't see her here. And she said, well, Anne, Annie has social phobia. So I went in, and she stayed in the car. During the interviews, we knew that she wasn't telling all that she knew. 
Detectives inform Carmela that they also have her cell phone records from the night of the murder. At that point, Carmela breaks down in tears. Her story yet again changed. And at that point, she said she had dropped Travato at her mother's or in the vicinity of her mother's and that she had gone by herself with the baby to the Galleria. And she told the police that she had picked Travato up and that Travato seemed very upset, but that she didn't press her on it. But that's all investigators can get before Carmela stops cooperating. That was sort of her final story, which again, was getting closer to the truth, but she never told us the whole truth. Thankfully, detectives are able to track down another family member of Carmela's who is willing to talk, her cousin, Artie Walsh. Artie tells investigators that before Patricia's murder, he had several unsettling conversations with Anne and Carmela. Antrovato told Artie Walsh they had previously broken into Patricia Mary's house. They had stolen things. They were trying to maybe bribe Pat in order to, uh, you pay money and we'll let you see your baby. It was very significant to us that we could prove this premeditated scheme by Carmela Magnetti and Ann Travato leading up to the homicide of Patricia Mary. Artie says that in early May, Ann and Carmela started asking him some disturbing questions. Prior to the homicide, Carmela Magnetti and Ann Travato had asked Artie Walsh for a gun. Artie says that he refused to provide them with a gun. But then, on May 11th, he had another alarming interaction with Anne and Carmela. Artie Walsh said that Carmela Magnetti and Anne Travato came back into the house. Carmela Magnetti called him upstairs. He came up into the room, Carmela Magnetti and Anne Travato's room, and Anne Travato was in a praying position on her knees. And Carmela Magnetti said in the presence of Anne Travato to Artie Walsh, she killed her mother. And Travato just sort of nodded. That was a huge piece of evidence for us. But is this confession enough for an arrest? On July 30th, 2006, detectives pin all their hopes on one last interview with Carmela. She didn't divulge everything she knew. We believe that she knew what was going to happen. Coming up, Carmela tells all. It was part of this really complex scheme that Ann Travato and her friend Carmela Magnetti had perpetrated. But as pressure mounts, would the bond between the two women hold firm? Or is it about to completely unravel? She had nothing to do with this. She wasn't involved. She was innocent of this. On July 30th, 2006, detectives meet Carmela Magnetti at a diner in Ossining, New York. There, she finally agrees to come clean about the night 59-year-old Patricia Mary was murdered. Carmela admits that she helped Pat's daughter, Anne Travato, vandalize Patricia's property after Patricia sued for visitation of Anne's daughter, Ariana. 
Patricia, who was living a few towns away, was the one person who was threatening to take this little girl away from them. So they hatched this plot. But Carmela says that when she dropped off Anne in Ossining on May 11th, 2006, she had no idea what Anne was about to do. She had dropped Annie off. She had picked her up. Annie said that that her mother had, had a knife, and she confronted her, and then she blacked out, and she woke up, and her mother was dead. Anne Travato had a bag with bulleted clothes, and our evidence was Anne Travato and Carmela Magnetti took those clothes to a dumpster in Elmsford. Carmela didn't know anything about what was going to happen, and this was sort of a spontaneous event. She was charged with hindering prosecution, destruction of evidence, and uh, criminal facilitation, which is helping someone commit a crime. With Carmela in custody, detectives tracked down Anne at a friend's house on August 4, 2006. She's charged with murder in the second degree, burglary in the first degree for breaking into Patricia Mary's house. We asked her if she would speak with us, and she said she refused, and she wanted a lawyer. Anne's trial begins in September 2007. Anne's demeanor is sort of a roller coaster. There's days she's stoic. There's days she's hysterical. There was a day that we had to stop court because she was so hysterical. Prosecutors argue that Anne's sudden outpouring of emotion doesn't change the fact that she is a cold-blooded killer. I believe Annie was waiting for her mother to return home. I would imagine that there was an argument again about the baby. Pat ended up being struck several times with a blunt object, which we believe to be a baseball bat. And we believe that the assault continued and she was stabbed and murdered. And even planted this letter, a handwritten note, on her mom's body at the time to try and show police that, that some, something else had happened here. Certainly, this was a premeditated, planned homicide, um, and not a situation where something happened in the spur of the moment and a person blacked out. Prosecutors also present surveillance footage and phone records to bolster their case. The defense argues it's not enough to warrant a conviction. The argument was that we didn't prove our case. We didn't have a videotaped statement to the police. We didn't have that smoking gun. On October 22, 2007, the jury hands down its verdict. They find Anne Travato guilty on all charges. The judge was very stern and fair and sentenced her to 25 years of life. You want to know what I think Annie should have got as a punishment? Life without parole. No possibility of parole. This is not someone you want on the street. This is someone who needs to sit quietly in a, in a cage and reflect on what they've done. In July of 2008, Carmela's trial begins. We had pretty hard evidence against Carmela Magnetti. A lot of that evidence just showed Magnetti's involvement with this scheme leading up 
to the homicide. However, unlike Anne's trial, Carmela's trial is plagued by problems, starting with Anne Travato's very own testimony. In her testimony, she tried to protect Carmela, basically saying that you know she had nothing to do with this, she wasn't involved, she was innocent of this. Then, Artie Walsh, who was a crucial witness at Anne's trial, flees to Canada just days before he is scheduled to take the stand at his cousin's trial. He never came, and we had to give the case to the jury. So they had to consider it without his testimony, which was a huge blow to us. Without Artie's testimony, Carmela is found guilty of the lesser charges of tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution. She is sentenced to three to seven years in prison. However, the tragedy of Pat's death ultimately has a touching ending. After Anne is imprisoned, Ron Kerner receives full custody of the daughter he never knew he had. I have such a special relationship with Ariana. It's unbreakable. It's, people wouldn't understand it. I can't live without this girl. We have such a great relationship, me and my father, and I'm just happy how my life is present right now, present day. Just very happy. I couldn't ask for more. However, not a day goes by that Ariana doesn't wonder why her mother made the choice to take her grandmother's life, thus ensuring neither of them would ever get to see Ariana grow into the young woman she is today. I was thinking about it like, wow, how can someone's daughter kill their own mother on Mother's Day? It's so messed up in, in so many ways. You want your daughter all to yourself, and so you kill your mother, and now you don't have your daughter at all. And you don't have your mother. I think legacy-wise, Pat does kind of live on in Ariana's personality and character. In 2011, after serving just over two years of her sentence, Carmela Magnetti was released from prison. Anne Travato is eligible for parole in 2031. She currently has no contact with her daughter. I'm Elena, an autopsy technician. And I'm Ash, a hairstylist. And we just love swapping stories about all of the morbid things that fascinate us. And if you do too, join us on our podcast, Morbid. It's a safe space to let your weirdo flag fly. On Morbid, we cover dark historical events, sinister science, unnerving paranormal events, and sordid high society murders. We also dive deep into the most notorious crimes in history. Our podcast is grounded in rigorous and painstaking research. We're also not afraid to read a yeah. <laughs> We keep it weird because a dash of snark is necessary to get through grotesque true tales of demented minds. So follow Morbid on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Morbid early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.